Hey everybody, welcome to episode 2 of Coming Up Strong. We are not in the outdoor beauty studio this evening. There is a sound issue. So we are actually at the lovely McClure Park in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Now this episode is going to be dealing with uh, addiction, my experience with addiction, as well as some insight that I have uh, obtained over uh, a long life experience with drugs and drug use. Now I do want to go ahead and give a disclaimer that a lot of what I'm going to talk about... uh, I have never really told uh, many people, if anyone at all, so there might be uh, some graphic descriptions. I'm going to try and keep everything as PG as possible while being able to maintain the full impact of the severity of addiction. So my drug journey started in the ninth grade. Marijuana was what I was introduced to, and I used it fairly frequently, but what really got me hooked was selling. Um, I loved making that money and you know, more or less having my own business, so to speak. Also in ninth grade year, I met a guy named Jake. And I will only refer to him as Jake to protect his guilty behind. Now, Jake and I were pretty inseparable. We did everything together. We learned how to play guitar together. We went out on the town together. We did drugs together. We sold drugs together. We were on the wrestling team. I mean, he and I were together literally every single day. And... With Jake, I found myself in some pretty bad situations, and uh, I learned, not not in that moment, but I eventually learned over time how to recognize uh, those type of situations. Now, I just dealt with marijuana until I ended up in Raider, uh, which it was a juvenile detention facility in Sand Springs, Oklahoma, where I spent about a year and a half. Um, more or less, it's it's a juvenile lockdown. Um, I was released a week before I turned 19, which would have been uh, June of 2010. And I did pretty well uh, after I got out. Um, I kind of did my own thing, and then in 2011, Jake and I ended up hooking back up, and we rebuilt that link, and I kind of started living a double life. I uh, was working at IMSA, which is an ambulance service here in the city of Tulsa, and so I did that, and I was... It was really more of a triple life, <laughs> uh, as I had my married life with my, uh, at that time, wife, Brittany, and then I had my drug dealing, and this time it was, I mean, we still did some marijuana, but 
it was cocaine. And I really enjoyed using cocaine, and I'm more or less sold to uh, fund my cocaine use. And then everything kind of started crashing around, uh, crashing down around us. Um, one bad thing happened, and then another bad thing happened. And one day, uh, we had just got our new supply, and he and I both spent about $3,000 uh, each on this Coke. And I'm in his condo. I walk out, and I see kind of off in the distance. I mean, it's definitely a, a straight line of sight to Jake's condo, but I see what looks like uh, unmarked police cars. And they were just too out of place for my comfort and my uh, my taste. I'd never seen them there before. I knew they didn't live in the area. So it just really raised some red flags for me. And I walked inside. I slammed the cocaine on the table. I looked at Jake. I said, I'm out, dude. And I strongly urged him to get out as well. Because I still cared about this dude. I mean, he was... He was my bro. And he did not heed the warning. And a few weeks later, he was arrested by Tulsa County Sheriff for possession with intent to distribute. And he ended up, of course, making a deal and pretty much getting off with a slap on the wrist. And that happened... About 2013, so we had two years of you know, hardcore selling drugs, using drugs, you know, a lot of stuff. And then I started coming down, kind of getting more of a clear head. And then in 2014, I started going through a divorce with my now ex-wife Brittany. And that was difficult, to say the least. We actually split up in 2015, but it was pretty much over in 2014. Uh, November 2015, I, I ended up uh, leaving the house. And we both knew that we no longer wanted to be in that marriage. And I quickly realized that I did not have any place to go. And so I started what I like to call my hobosexual relationship uh, with a woman named Sarah. And for those of you who have never heard that term, it's a term, I like to say I coined it because I've never heard anyone say it before me, but I probably didn't. I'm quite honestly not that clever. But for those who have never heard the term homosexual, that is somebody that enters a relationship to keep from being homeless. And so that started. And we had a great time. I was clean. I was sober. Things were going great. And then I got my own apartment. Started living on my own. 
started really getting a big head thinking, you know, hey, this isn't that hard. I can do it. Um, ended up getting uh, hooked up with a woman named Valerie. And up until this point in my life, I never had a hard time walking away from drugs. Never. And then I met Valerie. And I started seeing her behind Sarah's back. And Val introduced me to methamphetamine. Which quickly became my Achilles heel. And... So I smoked meth with her for a good six months. And then I met her uncle Dustin. Who quickly became one of my best friends. Um, Dusty had a bar outside of his house. Completely separate structure. Awesome man cave. Probably one of the best man caves that I have ever seen. And so... We did a lot of, of drugs there, a lot of late nights, a lot of hardcore partying. And I started snorting coke again. And you know, it just it didn't really do what it used to do for me. That meth had just a just a a firm grip on me. And so I probably probably snorted through maybe $300 worth of cocaine and realized that, you know, I'd rather spend my money on this meth. So I tried snorting that. And it gave me a different euphoria than smoking it did. So now I was smoking, I was snorting. I was probably going through, I would say, $1,000 a week on methamphetamine. And that continued until about August of that same year, 2015. I received a possession of methamphetamine charge. And I had not been in trouble since I got out of Raider. I mean, there was an incident with my ex-sister-in-law that went away very quickly because I... For once, <laughs> I was not in the wrong. So, I have this possession charge now. And I was given a deferred sentence by the court. And I just want to go ahead and throw this out there. Throughout my entire um, adult court history, I had one judge. The Honorable Judge LaFortune. And he truthfully was more lenient than he should have been. But I am very grateful for that. Uh, I, I truly appreciate that. And it has impacted my life in ways that I don't think I'll ever be able to express to him. So shout out to Judge LaFortune, who actually is no longer on that docket. But he still is a, a judge in Tulsa County. So I was on the, the deferred sentence, and for those of you who do not know what a deferred sentence is, basically, in layman's terms, they withhold a finding of guilty until I complete a term of probation. 
In this case, it was two years. I couldn't catch any other charges. I couldn't test positive on a drug test. You know, I had to, I had to do things right. And if that uh, was achieved, if those requirements were met, it went away like it never happened. Of course, that's not the way that I did it. <laughs> a few months later, I was uh, in a vehicle for my plug at that time. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and define that uh, word as well. I'm going to try to define these words that I'll be using as they come up. So in the drug world, a plug is a term for your supplier. That's who you get your drugs from to sell and or to use. So in December of 2015, uh, or sorry, not 15, uh, the possession charge happened in 16. Um, and so did the stolen vehicle uh, charge um, December 16 and August of 16. They, uh, I was with uh, my plug Dylan that night, and he was having an issue. Uh, he did not know how to drive a trailer. And so he asked me if I would drive this tractor back to his place, which was out in the country. Not really abnormal. I'm like, yeah, cool, no problem. And so I did. I got behind the wheel. And not long after that, I got lit up by the Bixby Police Department. Turns out the vehicle was stolen. There's a whole bunch of stuff in the vehicle that shouldn't have been. And I'm off to jail again. I'm in jail for about a month. So I get out mid-January of 2017. And I'm clean. I don't have any drugs in my system. I've gone through the come down, which really sucked, but it's necessary. And kind of describe that for you. It's it's different for everyone, and it's different for every drug. My come down experience in county in. Uh, late December, early January, uh, 16 into 17, was a lot of nightmares. Just really weird, random nightmares that I can't even really describe. It was just terrifying dreams. Um, Another part of that come down was intense heat. I, I felt hot all the time. And nauseous as well. So experiencing that in David Lamas is not pleasant at all. I mean, it's never pleasant. Either coming down or uh, being in David Lamas. But combine the two and it's really, really unpleasant. Um, So here we are, January 18th. I'm clean. I'm feeling good because I've got this stuff out of my system. Now it's time to really get my life back. I get a job at a local Harley Davidson shop doing sales. I love it. I'm good at sales. I love doing sales. I love Harleys. 
it's a perfect combination. I also start seeing this girl named Danielle. Now, Danielle was a girl that I had known since middle school. And I'd always wanted a chance to be in a relationship with her. And here we are. I'm fresh out of county. And that opportunity presents itself. And so, you know, we start seeing each other. Everything is going great. And then one day, it was March. Uh, Middle of March, I'd say. My parents were out of town. I'm still living with my parents. And I invite Danielle over for a dinner that I make. And so uh, I already know where this night's gonna gonna lead. We it'd been building up for for a while. So I I know what's gonna happen at the end of the night. And I start panicking because I had not been intimate with a woman in quite a while. And then I remembered my old friend, methamphetamine. A side effect of meth that you may or may not know, uh, whether from personal experience or from uh, studying research uh, hearsay, uh, a side effect of methamphetamine for a lot of people is, how do I say this? Uh, increased performance. So I get that in my head, like, you know, I've, I've wanted to, to have a relationship with this chick for a long time, stuff's going down tonight, I don't want to ruin it, I don't want to make a fool of myself, I'm going to call my old plug Kyle, and, you know, just, just one bump, you know, a little, little bit of math, just to get me on my game, and we'll be good. And so, after work, I, uh, well, I had Kyle come up to the Harley dealership, left money in my vehicle, and he left the product. After work, I went, I got a pipe, did some smoking, went to the store, got everything to make dinner. I was going to make this night one to remember. And so, excuse me. And so the night goes on, everything goes great. And I'm feeling on top of the world. I'm like, you know, Hey, cool. Maybe I can, I can handle a little dope here or there. Um, dope, uh, for different generations have, has different meanings for, Uh, Different people, it has different meanings. In this case, anytime I say the word dope, I'm speaking of the drug methamphetamine. So I'm thinking that I can handle my dope every now and then, you know, here, a little bit here, a little bit there. I can control it. It's going to be okay. Well, meth really grabs you. And I started using, and I started using... 
and I didn't realize how much I was using. Um, I ended up losing my job at the Harley dealership. Sales went down. My sales didn't go down, but sales overall uh, in the dealership were going down. So, as the new guy, I got cut loose along with a couple of other people. And that was devastating. Now, uh, things were rocky between Daniel and I already, plus losing my job. I just threw it up and said, F it. I really don't care. So I started using more and more, and then I was getting ready to get an 8-ball. For those of you who don't know, an 8-ball is a weight of drugs. It's not specific to methamphetamine. Uh, It's uh, more or less universal to all drugs. It's short for, it's, well, it's not short for, it's slang for one-eighth of an ounce. So I was getting an eighth of an ounce of meth from Kyle, and I was on his uh, front porch, because uh, right as I pulled up, uh, Danielle sent me a text message. So I was like, you know, hey, I'm going to get out. I'm, he already knows I'm here, so I'll just tell him I'll be in in a minute. And, you know, I hadn't heard from her in a couple of days, so let's see what, what she's got to say. And this was April 1st of 2017. And the text was not something that I wanted to, to read. And just in general, as a guy, at least from my perspective... It was really low. Like, take my pride and just drop a bomb on it and blow it up. As I was, I felt like utter crap. Because this text message was a breakup text. And so I kind of lost my shit for a minute. Sorry, I, I lost my stuff for a minute. And instead of the eight ball of methamphetamine... I pulled out $500 in cash, gave it to Kyle, and said, I want an ounce. Now, an ounce is 28 grams of methamphetamine. That is a lot of dope. Um, That is more dope than anybody needs at any one time. Um, Of course, I'm of the stance that nobody needs meth. But, you know, if you're going to use it, you don't need an ounce of it. That's just a recipe for trouble. And so I crashed hardcore. I went straight from Kyle's house, which is you know also in the North Tulsa area, but I went from Kyle's house to Dusty's Bar, which was probably about a mile and a half, two miles away. And I locked myself in his bar and proceeded to spiral for the entire weekend. Now, in a three-day, in a three-day crash, I guess you would say, uh, three-day episode, I not only smoked and snorted 
28 grams of methamphetamine. I also drank two 30-packs of PBR and two half-gallons of Crown Royal. This was a very bad weekend. I'm truly thankful and very grateful that I survived that weekend. Because looking back on it, I really should not have survived that. That is a lot of drugs. That is a lot of alcohol. And no sleep. It's just a bad recipe. A bad combination. So I am very grateful that I made it through that. I entered into what I call the I don't care phase. Uh, I put a single person... I put this girl on way too high of a pedestal. And so all of the events, of course, were my fault. I was the drug addict. Um, I put this woman on an insanely high pedestal. And really set myself up for failure. So we leave, leave that uh, April uh, three-day event, um, starting to fight with my parents a lot. And I actually ended up getting kicked out of my parents' house and didn't have anywhere to go. So I started talking to Kyle and said, you know, hey, you've got an extra space. Why don't I move in with you? And so I ended up moving in with Kyle. This was a bad idea uh, for many reasons. Um, I was selling a lot more. I started uh, dabbling in PCP. And for those of you who do not know what PCP is, um, it's also uh, been called wet or gorilla piss. A lot of names for it. It is a liquid that has a formaldehyde base that is extremely mind-altering. The most common consumption, at least when I was doing it, I don't know how they do it now, but the most common consumption back then was dipping a cigarette into the PCP and letting the cigarette absorb the drug. And then to light it, you could not take a flame to it because with the formaldehyde in there, it is extremely flammable. So you actually take a cigarette that's already lit and you light the PCP cigarette off of the cherry of the cigarette that's already lit. And for a lot of people, this takes them on a journey, so to speak. Um, it's... You know, it's different for everybody. For me, it reminded me of marijuana. It just took me to a super lazy place. I didn't want to do anything. I was just vegging out. And that might be just the combination of the meth and the PCP. But that's that was my experience. And for those of you who don't know me, I don't like feeling... Blah. I don't like feeling 
like I don't have any motivation. I don't like feeling anything like that. Even though I will say I am a very lazy person. I know that, you know, if I want to go get something to eat in the kitchen, I'll do it. On the PCP, I literally sat there for eight or nine hours staring at a TV screen that was blue. So definitely not my cup of tea, um, but I did sell quite a bit of it. This is also about the time that uh, I took my first shot. Uh, basically, this is this is when I first shot up meth. And my first experience was very euphoric. Um, it's often said when shooting uh, drugs, whether it's meth, heroin, uh, anything, that the first shot will either hook you or kill you. And absolutely, I I took that first shot. I, I had somebody shoot me up, and I was hooked. I... I just felt, well, it's called the the dragon's breath, or the breath of the dragon. So, when the solution is injected into your vein, it is pretty much instantaneously distributed throughout your entire body. It's more or less an instant high. And there are very few words to adequately describe that experience. My body got really hot. Um, the main one that I remember is my vision was like a funhouse mirror. And I've, I've used that reference before um, in regard to my overamp or overdose in the last episode. And I also remember the um, instant arousal that I felt. It was just a combination of feelings that I have never really felt before. That became the only way that I used dope, unless I was with Dusty. He didn't like shooting, he didn't approve of it all, so out of respect I didn't do it around him. Now I fast forward about a month or two, and I'm on a come down. Uh, a come down is when you've reached a point where you are just so high that that you have to stop for a minute just to kind of reset, recharge, and sleep. Um, methamphetamine users are notorious for not sleeping. The drug keeps you awake for days at a time, sometimes weeks. My longest bender of being awake was about 12 days, 11 or 12 days, I believe, maybe 10. Honestly, it's all a blur. Now, it's not straight awake, you know, all that time. You have little nod-offs, little power naps. But for the most part, you are awake the entire time. And so I'm, I'm on a come down. And I've got the girl of the week 
in my room with me. We're just crashed out. And Kyle kicks in my door. And he is on a very bad PCP trip. Uh, remember how I said some people go to different places when they're on PCP? Kyle is one of those guys. And he had imagined some crazy scenario where I was the monster, where I was the bad guy. When in reality, I've been in my room for two days asleep. But the guy had a knife. I was unarmed. I'm not going to go up against that. So I just, I bailed out. Olivia and I left that night and... She went her way, I went my way. She went back to her boyfriend, and I became homeless. I started chasing my high, doing everything that I could just for that next fix. Um, uh, another phrase that I have coined uh, is the, the phrase, bump monkey. Um, you know how you're in the in the zoo and... You know, those those monkeys will, you know, do anything for, for the treat from their uh, trainer. They'll do anything for that banana, so to speak. That's the point that I was with dope. You know, I'll do anything just to get that next bump, just to next get that next high. And so I started chasing my high instead of being a cat dad. And, you know, I'm, I'm out on the streets chasing this dope and... My cats are still at Kyle's. Now, truthfully, I think Kyle is one of the lowest POSs on earth, but I do got to give props and, and appreciation where they're due. Um, this dude took care of my cats for a month and a half, two months, while I was on the streets of Tulsa chasing the high. He fed them. He changed their litter box. And so, I mean, for that, I am truly grateful. But... uh uh, when the time came, uh, which we'll get to here later, uh, so we'll we'll pause on Kyle for a minute. Um, this is about the time that the story that I got I told you guys last week happened. Um, going from the Tulsa Zoo to way out in Bixby, just to to get that high, just to get that fix. And that was about the time I started looking at school and, and moved back with my parents. Now, after I moved back with my parents, of course, I want my cats. I want my stuff back. Um, and so I try to make contact with Kyle, and he's being really childish, really petty about it. Uh, a little insight to me, before my son was born... My cats were my babies. Like, you you don't mess with them. You can do whatever you want to me, but you don't mess with my cats. And Kyle was making threats over text message and over the phone that he was going to microwave uh, one of my cats, take him to the pound, take him out back and shoot him. Just all these things that, you know, were, were really messing with me. And I was on a brief come down. Um, I'd run out of money, run out of ways to get meth. And so my mind already was half fog 
and half clarity. So you mix that kind of confusion with the things that this guy is saying. And mind you, I've seen him do some stuff that's pretty messed up. And so it it was completely plausible that he would do something to my cats. And of course, that just sent me over the rails. Uh, Dad and I went over to his place. Nobody answered the door. Called the police. They came. Nobody answered the door. So I, you know, I went back and forth with him for several days. You know, I just wanted my stuff back. I wanted to get back to life and all of that. And so one day in August, um, no, it was not August. Yes, it was because I had already um, had my over amp. Um, You'll have to forgive me. One of the side effects of using as much meth as I did for the period of time that I did, sometimes my memory gets foggy. Uh, Even though I write down points and notes and try to get everything chronologically, uh, it didn't, it doesn't always work. So, uh, I'm sure you're wondering if I was out of money and back at my parents' house, how, how am I still getting high so that I do get to that point of, um, over overdosing, you know, over amping. Well, we, uh, my parents own a beekeeping company and I work for them. I do farmer's markets. Uh, At that time, I was doing farmer's markets only. And I would get a percentage of it. And I would buy meth with it. I I had such a reputation in the dope world at that time with some very powerful players that I could get a lot of dope for very little money because... I sold a lot, and these guys are the guys that produced it, and so I was able to you know, feed my habit that way, and so now that, you know, that's how we get to the um, over-amping and, and uh, eventual uh, quitting of the methamphetamine. So that's kind of my journey of it. It's a little um, broken down. Um, truthfully, a lot of the, a lot of that period I don't remember in detail. I know some things that happened. What I know I've talked about, but um, some of it still remains a mystery to me. Now, I've told you that entire story to get to this feeling, or th- not this feeling, this, uh, this point right here. What is the cause of addiction? For different people, the answer is different. There is no one blanket answer for the cause of addiction. For me, my my cause of addiction, my, what led me to the addictive path that I that I went down, was depression, uh, 
and I'm just speaking of meth with the coke and the and the pot. That was just a good time, and I believe that's why I didn't have a problem walking away from it because it was just a good time. With the meth, though, it grabbed a hold of me and truly became part of who I was at that time. And the depression from my divorce, my inability to cope with the situation, that created a cocktail that was, for me, for me personally, was perfect to become an addict. And I liked the feeling. I felt good when I was when I was high. I look back now and see that I was miserable. But in that moment, I felt amazing. I felt on top of the world. I wasn't depressed. And I didn't care about my situation anymore. You know, drugs have a destructive reality. And it really bothers me that the state of Oklahoma passed state question 780. Now, I know the majority of citizens were lied to in order to get that passed. Um, But for those of you who don't know, state question 780 more or less made drug possession a misdemeanor. And we'll get into that in a later episode, but there is a destructive reality with drugs, whether it be heroin, whether it be opiate pills, whether it be uh, stimulants, benzos, you know, for some people, marijuana. Drugs have a destructive reality. Addiction has a destructive reality. Alcohol. Some people can't do alcohol because it destroys their life. And a lot of people say, you know, oh, well, it just affects the user, so let them do it. Let them destroy their own life. It doesn't. It doesn't just affect the one using it. It affects everyone around them. I remember pleas and, you know, times of begging from those that I cared about and those that I loved to stop what I was doing. But I didn't care or I was unable to. You know, I always said to myself, oh, hey, I can stop whenever I want. But that's not true. I, I couldn't stop until I hit rock bottom. In the course of that uh, entire uh, two years is what I ended up, uh, a little over two years, is how long I ended up being uh, on on drugs, on meth, and uh, actually about a year and a half. Uh, Through that, I lost one of the most important family members that I had, uh, and that was my sister, because of how I acted on the drug. Her and her husband felt that it was in the best interest of their family to not have contact with me, to not be around me at all. And that really destroyed me for a long time. 
I had a lot of anger and I had a lot of hate towards my brother-in-law for that. Now I know that it was my fault. I'm the one to blame. And, you know, that relationship, by the grace of God, has been restored. And uh, one of my favorite things is is spending time with my brother-in-law and my sister and my niece and nephew. Great times and you know, great memories that we have. Uh, another... Uh, family thing, I guess you could say. Uh, Of course, my relationship with my parents was damaged, but has since been uh, rebuilt. And we have a great uh, relationship, both personally and professionally. I love working for my parents. I love working with my parents. And I'm excited to what the future has, uh, to see what the future has for us. But uh, in May of... Uh, 2017, my grandfather passed away. At that time, my my mom and I didn't speak. I knew he was getting bad, but because of things I had done and said, nobody really let me know how bad they had gotten. And so... Uh, I got a phone call from my dad and said, you know, hey, your your papa's going to be going soon. And uh, I sat on that information for about a week. And then one night I decided, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to go see Papa. I was higher than a kite. I had no business going to see my grandfather in that condition. But something inside me told me, I have to go see my papa. And I got there, I knocked on the door, and nobody answered. So I called, and I left a voice message. And I found out later that uh, that ended up being the day that he passed away. And so that that's something that I carry with me every day. That regret of caring more about a stupid fucking drug than I did somebody that was of great influence on my life. And... I will never get a chance to make that right. Um, that opportunity has passed. I can only change going forward. And over the course of this podcast, I hope that you will see the trials and tribulations, so to speak, <laughs> of that change. It is something I'm very proud of. It is something I have worked very hard for. And I think that regret that I carry from my Papa Meister's death uh, is is a big driver in 
who I have become and how I have gotten here. So, uh, with that, we will go ahead and conclude episode two. I hope this provides a little bit of insight into um, addiction. Of course, we will be, you know, discussing addiction later, uh, more than likely. Uh, but you know, every chance you get, tell those people that you love that you love them. Let them know uh, that they're important to you. Because you never know when the last time you'll get to see them is. You never know if you'll see them again. So be good to each other. Wash your hands and stay Tulsa strong. Until next week, I'm Scott Hannaford and this has been Coming Up Strong.